We're in chapter 16 on uh, Kings 2, learning about King Ahaz, who was the king of Judea. And we saw in the first eight verses that King Ahaz, uh, he goes down in the books as being a wicked king. Uh, we see that he passes his sons through fire, which is the Moloch worship. He, uh, it says he sacrificed and burned incense on altars outside of the temple, all over the place, on every hill, on every green tree, which is not allowed. And um, it also says he went in the ways of the kings of Israel, which is not a good thing. So after a nice run of righteous kings in the kingdom of Judea, along comes Ahaz and he breaks that streak. And he's attacked in verse 5 here. In verse 5, he's attacked by the combined forces of Aram, led by Ritzin, and the kingdom of Israel, led by Pekach ben Ramaliau, they form a tag team to attack the kingdom of Judea. And we analyzed in Oleshior what were their possible motives for this attack on Judea. But on the, in the divine sphere, that is in Hashem's plan, the attack was a punishment for the sins of Ahav and his, Ahaz and his kingdom. And that was stated explicitly in the parallel narrative in Chronicles 2, chapter 28, that runs parallel to our chapter here. It says there that, for they had forsaken Hashem. That very simple statement, though, shows that under, underlying all this is Hashem orchestrating the events according to the rules of reward and punishment. So, as a result of this attack upon his kingdom, King Ahaz, he turns to the superpower of the day, and that's the empire of Assyria. And we see in verse 7 and 8, that Ahaz bribes the king of Assyria, whose name is Tiglat Pal Eser. He bribes him to get these nations, Aram and Israel, off his back. Now, if we want to get a closer look, though, at King Ahaz's decision to forge this alliance with Assyria, we're going to take a dive into the book of Isaiah for more understanding. Remember, to understand what's going on in Judea under King Ahaz, we draw from more than the book of Kings. We have to draw from Chronicles. We draw from Isaiah the prophet, who was advising these kings. Isaiah prophecies coincided with the kings uh, um, Yotam and Uziahu and, and Ahaz and Chizkiyahu. So uh, Isaiah has what to say about this. And each source, Chronicles, Isaiah and Kings, reveals a different perspective. And none of it contradicts. It's more like a puzzle you piece together to get the complete, a complete picture. And it's kind of like hyperlink if you want to know what happened in verse 5 in chapter 16 about the the uh, the uh, attack by those two kings you click on that link and then you go to chronicles chapter 28 to that expounds upon that and if we want to know what happened with this covenant that Ahaz makes with Assyria about this bribery he does he when he empties out the treasuries to uh, to Pileser, we click on that link and that will bring us to the book of Isaiah uh, to expound upon that. So, in the book of Isaiah chapter 7, we get a look at what um, what happened there with this alliance of Ahaz and Tiglat Pileser. Now, the book of Isaiah, of course, is different than Chronicles a little bit and different than uh, the Kings. It's much more um, Emunah-based. It's, it's a faith-based perspective. It's less historical, less political, more focused on showing how Hashem is orchestrating history. And uh, Isaiah, he says about Assyria in, in another place, he says, Ashur Shevet Api, Mate Za'ami, which means Ashur, which Assyria's Hebrew name is Ashur, is the stick of my wrath, 
the rod of my fury. That is, the Gentile nations, they're a vehicle in Hashem's hands to reward and punish Am Yisrael. Okay, so this alliance that Achaz makes with Tiglat Peleser, king of Assyria, it's covered in the book of Isaiah, like we said, in chapter 7. And I'm going to read now, chapter 7, verse 1, how it is from the perspective of Isaiah. It says the following, And it was in the days of Achaz, son of Yotam, son of Uziyahu, that Retzin, king of Aram, and Pekach, son of Ramaliyahu, they went up and waged war against Jerusalem. Okay, so that's pretty much what it says in our verse here, in chapter 16, verse 5, that Jerusalem was attacked by these two kings. But now we get something new in Isaiah. Again, each source we bring will reveal something the other source didn't. And it says the following in Isaiah. And it was told to the house of David. Aram has joined forces with Ephraim. So the house of David, of course, is the kingdom of Ahaz. And they say Aram has joined forces with Ephraim. Ephraim, of course, being another term for the kingdom of Israel or the ten tribes. Then it says, And his heart shuddered. That is, Ahaz is petrified by this. And the heart of the people shuddered like the trees of the forest in the wind. So the co kingdom of Judea, Judea is petrified, terrified, that they're being attacked by these two kings, who are much bigger than they are. Remember, the king of Judea is one tribe, two tribes, Benjamin and Yehuda, and Aram and the kingdom of Israel are a lot bigger than they are. So now it says the following, in verse 4, book of Isaiah, chapter 7, And then Hashem had said to Isaiah, Go out and meet Ahaz, and say to him, which means be calm, which means be still, like from the, from the word sheket, be quiet, be still. Altira, fear not, and let not your heart be faint. Don't worry about these two spent, smoldering firebrands. That's what it says here. <laughs> spent, smoldering firebrands, Urim Ma'ashanim. So Isaiah, he's calling Pekach and Ratzin, the kingdom of Aram and Israel, they're smoldering spent firebrands. What does that mean? That, that Pekach and Aram, who are threatening Achaz, they're spent. They're burnt out nations. They're on their last legs. They're done. They're wasted. And Achaz, you don't have to fear them. And the prophet Isaiah continues relating his prophecy to, the, to King Achaz. Verse 9, in 65 more years, Ephraim will cease to be a people. That is, the exile of the ten tribes is imminent. It's 65 years away. So Isaiah is telling Ahaz, don't fear them. We're talking about two weak kings who will soon be eliminated from, eliminated from this world. You don't have to bribe Assyria. They're going to conquer Aram and the Shomron without you coaxing them. They're going to do it anyway. So obviously we see that the prophet is discouraging Ahaz from making this deal this bribe with Assyria. He's saying, you don't have to do it. And then Isaiah concludes with, a, with a, an ultimatum. He says, If you don't believe this, it is because you lack faith. And that's an important verse here. If you don't believe this, Achaz, that means you lack faith. Isaiah is telling King Achaz, believe in God's word. Don't fear Aram and the kingdom of Israel. Don't run to Assyria for support. Hang in there. And believe He'eminu. We see that twice in the verse. He'eminu. 
that root of belief in Hashem's word. And obviously it's a difficult test of faith. And Hashem is willing to give Achaz a sign. So much so that he wants Achaz to not capitulate to Assyria. He wants to give him a sign. It says in verse 11, Vayosef Hashem daber lemor. And Hashem spoke further to Achaz and he said, Sha'alachaot, request a sign for yourself from Hashem, your God. So Hashem is willing to give Achaz a sign to strengthen Achaz's faith. And he says, you want a sign? I'll give you a sign that will prove the veracity of this prophecy if you ask for it. Just like Gidon, the judge, if you remember the book of Judges, Gidon had a difficult mission before him to fight the Midianites and he requested a sign. He got a sign that he's going he's gonna to win, right? So that's what Hashem is willing to do for Achaz. But it doesn't happen. We see that Achaz chickens out. What does Achaz respond here? Vayom Achaz, lo eshal, I won't request a sign. And he gives a reason. Lo enaset Hashem, I don't want to test Hashem. That's the words here in Yeshiao. I don't want to request a sign because I don't want to test Hashem. So what Achaz is doing is masking his lack of faith in this self-righteous claim that I don't want to test God by requesting a sign. That means I'm not going to stand alone. I'm going to make this deal with Assyria. I'm going to give him the, the treasury of the temple because I'm not, I don't have the faith to do otherwise. And this is a really important concept, not only in the days of Achaz, but we see throughout the Bible and today as well that the test of faith is whether the Jewish nation is willing to stand alone. Am levadad yishkon. We're called the nation that dwells alone, which was actually a curse by Bilam. And people still think it's a curse, but it's, it's actually a bracha, it's a blessing. And it's a very tough test to be alone because we always feel we need America or some other nation to stand by our side. And we fear isolation, we fear being alone. And that's why we're like a vassal state in this, here in the state of Israel, dependent upon what the nations do or say, instead of acting in our self-interest, it's always what the Goyim say. And even religious Jews, they lack the faith when it comes to this idea of standing alone. You know, what will America say, they say. But what, that's what God wanted from Achaz over here. He want, and that's what he wants from us today, because that's really the way to show, to show that the Jews' faith in God is authentic and not just lip service. If you're willing to stand alone, it means you really mean it, right? It's a criteria of faith. And if you recall Ashirim on Solomon, when he married uh, the daughter of Paro, that was back in Kings 1 chapter 3, in that Shior, we went into it deeply. He did it because not, it wasn't a romantic thing. It was a political marriage. He, need, he felt he wanted an ally in Egypt. It was a big power then. And that is what caused the split in the kingdom. Solomon was punished for that marriage because, again, he felt he needed an alliance. And that's the cardinal sin, right? It shows lack of faith. And I dwell on this because this is a concept in Judaism you can only get from the Tanakh, only from Bible study. You can learn Halacha, Mishnah, Talmud all day long. It won't provide you with this big picture of Judaism, with the concept of Judaism, of being alone. Um, Mishnah Halacha will give us the trees, but the Bible gives us the forest, the big picture of Judaism, the concepts. And that's why many huge Torah scholars who are well-versed in Allah and Gomorrah, but they don't learn the Bible, they can behave like ghetto Jews, always afraid. What will the nation say? But the fact is, it's a common denominator throughout all the Tanakh. 
that he who believed in Hashem and went all the way and remained steadfast in his faith and, and was willing to stand alone, he's, he succeeded. And those kings who lacked faith and ran to the Goyim, they were the ones who were punished. Okay, so let's see what happens um, now to Ahaz after he makes this deal. Well, in the short term, bribing Assyria did work, as we'll see in verse 9, the next verse in Kings. That's in the short run, but um, if you go to Chronicles, when you look at the end game, this deal with Assyria actually did not work out at all because we see, again, in Chronicles, chapter 28, verse 20, that Ahaz's kingdom, the kingdom of Judea, was not only invaded by Aram and Israel, but it was eventually ravaged by Assyria as well, the same Assyria that he tried to buy off, that Ahaz tried to buy him with the treasuries of the temple, that same Assyria in the end attacked him too. So his covenant with Assyria was just a temporary respite, as we see in Chronicles, again, chapter 20, 28, verse 20, I'll read the verse, king of Assyria, attacked him and besieged him. Although Ahaz had taken a portion from the temple of Hashem, and from the palace of the king, sending it to Assyria, it did not help him. That's the verse in Chronicles. It did not help him. Groveling to the nations and lack of faith is not the way to go. It will not pay off in the end. So again, we get that big picture in Chronicles, how this covenant with Assyria was a waste of time. Because Assyria, again, they would have attacked Aram anyway. They would have attacked the Shomron anyway, without this deal being made. So let's go to now verse 9. Ver that's our next verse here in chapter 16. After um, Ahaz bribes the uh, king of Assyria, Tiglat-Pel Eser, it says the following. And the king of Assyria heeded him. That is, it did work in the short term. And so what did he do? The king of Assyria leaves Jerusalem. He goes up to Damascus. And he seized it. He seized it and he exiled the inhabitants. Kira To this place called Kir. And he slew Ratzin. So Assyria, they wipe out Aram forever. They kill Ratzin. They exile the population to an Assyrian province called Kira. And that's what Assyria does. They deport local populations and shift them around their empire. Assyria, again, is an empire that nobody's ever seen anything like it. Nothing in the world has arisen like this empire and nothing ever will. They were copied later on by Babylon, by Persia, by Greece. What I mean copied, that really Assyria set the standard in their entire infrastructure, how to be a conquering empire. And so they, um, right in this verse, just wipe out Aram and kill King Ritzin. Now, the book of Amos, we're going to now take a little bit of a dive because uh, there's a lot of different books that deal with these issues, with these um, events. And in the book of Amos, it gives the spiritual reason why Aram was wiped out. And it says there in chapter 1, verse 3, that they were wiped out. In a, in a divine sphere, for their oppression of the people of Gilad. That's the Jews on the East Bank, right? Gilad, from Manasseh, probably, the tribe of Manasseh. And they neighbored with Aram. They were pretty close, the Jews on the East Bank. They were a little bit south of Aram. And it says Aram had it coming to them for the thrashing Gilad with rails of iron. That's what it says in Amos, that Aram would thrash Gilad with rails of iron. So they tormented the Jews on the East Bank in Gilad, 
And that's the reason Aram was wiped out. Hashem was exacting, exacting vengeance from Aram through the nation of Assyria, who again is the stick of Hashem's wrath. That's the eternal reason why Aram was eliminated. It wasn't Assyria doing a chaz a favor. It might seem so on a superficial level, but in fact, God is orchestrating events and he uses Assyria as the stick of his wrath to strike down the nation of Aram. Now, important point before we um, sign off, you know, to prove the, uh, this is so impressive to me, the Tanakh, and, and so uh, the proof of the truth of the Tanakh to me, that if you notice the stories in the Bible, in the book of Kings and what's written in the prophets, it's happening in real history, that these are known empires, Assyria and Babylon later on. These prophets are prophesizing during historical times and every detail of every event described in the Tanakh is held fast in place by a matrix of exact dates, graphic historical descriptions. The events described in Tanakh, these are major events in the historical lives of other nations, as well as in the lives of the Jews. These are precise. Uh, I mean, there are, there are geographical locations listed in the Tanakh. There's names of monarchs throughout, monarchs that we know existed. For instance, Tiglat Pileser. He's a well-documented Assyrian king because the Assyrian records are very well preserved. And it talks all about Tiglat Pileser there. And here he is showing up in the book of Isaiah and the book of Kings written by Jeremiah. And I think the fact that these uh, events take place in real history with, with nations that we know existed, it's not you know the Odyssey, it's not some fairy tale, it's happening in real life, I think this adds great uh, validity and veracity to the truth of the Bible.